It's episode 74 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today, as always, are J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. How are you guys doing? Bueno. <laughs> I'm glad you took a minute to think about it. So oh, we also have uh, your friend Jay here, our friend Jay here. Our friend Jay. Our friend Jay, listening in uh, silently on the side, because while we, you guys were watching, what, a, a football match? Oh, no. We're, we're going to be watching football this afternoon. Oh, who is it like? Football, not is, football. Is it like Bandersnatch versus Hufflepuff, or what is it this weekend? <laughs> yes, that's exactly who it is. Okay. I don't know. They have all their, their funky names and crests that they wear while they play. Their crests? They, don't, they, don't they have a crest? I was going to say all of like the funny things is like the town name. Exactly. Yeah. And they all have goofy British town names like yes. Huddersfield. Like what? Huddersfield. And what, what's it on? Isn't it usually on something? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because no. that's, that's uh, how they, they do uh, geography over there is everything's like relative to like the river it's near. I guess. It's like the Mersey River. So. I was like, as opposed to like Wisconsin that has totally normal, like non mispronounced words because they didn't want to have European sounding names during during the world wars. You mean so Wakisha and Okanomowoc? Well, and that's, you know, we used to have news at the, the station I work for, but they used to use another station out east mm-hmm. to like do the weather. Like they had a really kind of stripped down newscast. So you'd go to some other state where some meteorologist is doing the weather forecast, and it was con- constantly like Okanoma woke and mm-hmm. Wokeisha, and it was like, yeah, you can't do that. Well, you remember a couple years ago on Brewers Broadcast, actually, they were running an ad, and the whole point of it was like, your local insurer is better because they're local, so they know you, so they're part of whatever. But it was a national ad with a five-second tag on the end, and the tag on the end said, see your local independent dealer in Okanomowoc. And it was like, you have managed to undo the entire purpose of that ad in like three seconds. Yeah, so imagine how bad it is in the UK, right? Well, I was going to say, it's more things like living in New Berlin rather than New Berlin because they didn't want it to be like a German name. Exactly. Even though, you know, we all know. (laughs) Like, this whole area was settled by by the Germans. (laughs) Well, it's Waukesha County, too. Yeah, there's, there's that. There too. are other issues. So anyways, now that we've trashed uh, <laughs> whole county in Wisconsin, uh, those folks can go online and rate and review the podcast. <laughs> Tell us what they think about our little chatty open. Uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want questions. So if you have questions about our views of towns around Wisconsin or <laughs> British football clubs, uh, you can send those to at MKE tailgate on Twitter or email us at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow our Facebook page. Uh, you can follow the three of us on Twitter, and uh, that's in our Milwaukee's tailgate bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which just came out. It did. Did indeed. So uh, subscribe and check that one out. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is Double Fantasy Factory, and this time it's in bottles. Uh, it's double the hops of the original. Celebrate K4's sixth anniversary on Saturday, January 26th. They're tapping a very special barrel, aged barrel beer of Shut Up Tim. Yes, I already did this read on the minor league extra. So you did, yeah, you did this one. Shut up, Tim. Shut up, Tim. Okay, uh, it's a barley wine aged in Heaven Hills barrels. Uh, it's super limited, only available in the tap room. So go check that one out, and also don't miss the other fun beers from the barrel aged vault. And again, that's all on January twenty sixth at the brewery. Also get twenty percent off merch in the Carbon Four Web Store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or find their beer at your local retailer. As always, check out carbonfour.com for more information. Carbon Four Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more, for more information, visit sounddevices.com. 
Okay, so last week we had all the news with the Grandal signing, and then this week everything settled down. It wasn't like last year when we had Lorenzo Cain and well, I mean, Christian that'll happen Yelich. in like an hour, but... Yeah, but then we wanted to talk about it for weeks and weeks, where this one it kind of happened once, and now we go back to normal waiting for spring training to start. Yeah, and just kind of... Things feel pretty well settled at this point. I still think they're going to do something of impact and significance, but... They don't really have any holes at this point that they need to to address. They could still bring in a, a utility infielder, uh, but I think, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit because it's one of the questions today, but I think Hero is going to be up relatively quickly. So, Yeah, JP, do you think it's going to be kind of just around the margin improvements to the roster at this point? That's kind of what we can expect the rest of the winter. I still think they'll bring in a utility infielder that is good enough to start, at least to begin the season. I still think, you know, is Drew Bill Cabrera still out there? There was something that was in which somebody was talking about 150 free agents are still out there, basically. Yeah, Buster only has been really pushing that. And obviously, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, there's a month before spring training. So what does it really matter if you sign somebody now or you sign somebody in three weeks? Functionally, that doesn't really matter. But a lot of teams right now are waiting out the market and they're waiting out the market for several reasons. Number one, to try to get better prices, right? That's obvious. We've been talking about that for a long time, but there are so many teams that are waiting to see what happens with Machado, what happens with uh, Harper. And, you know, we heard that Mustakas might be going to Philly if Machado doesn't end up going to Philly. And so there, there need to be a lot of different, um, there need there needs to be a lot of different kind of like dominoes that start to fall before a lot of these guys start to pick teams, right? Because a lot of the time their better contract offers are going to be or their better situations are going to be in places in which there may be a plan for a bigger free agent. So things need to start happening before a lot of these guys start to in contracts. I think, yeah, we're kind of at the point where Machado needs to pick a place. And that probably involves teams making better offers than what has been rumored around. That was an interesting thing this week where Machado's agent sent out a very terse press release saying that the rumors that were out there about the offers they had on the table table were categorically false and that that was not true. And he got really kind of huffy about it, which I don't blame him because the rumors that are going around, teams are not supposed to release offers to the media because you could then teams can then use that to basically drive down bidding to keep if that information that information is supposed to be secret and the fact that more and more and more of it is getting out into the media now is problematic for the players in terms of getting the the most money possible and that's yeah i mean it's going to be part of the next cba when the labor armageddon hits so you really think it's happening more i think it's I think it's always been happening. The specifics of offers before before it is becoming more and more common. You're hearing more specifics about actual offers. I don't know if that's true. I think part of it is it's becoming more. If it's happening more, it's because more people are on Twitter and paying attention. And in the vast majority of the time, what we used to do is we used to see somebody, you know, some offer being out there or some or you know, so-and-so is is asking for this kind of money. And we all just go, ha and then move on. Uh, now it becomes a big thing. Every time somebody sees it, we say, wow, that doesn't seem right. And then we start to like have a com- conversation about it for a day or two in which these things stick instead of becoming just something you see and move on. Because in the past, it used to just be like, well, so-and-so's offer out there so-and-so has, you know, whatever offer out there or so-and-so's agent is saying that they're asking for, you know, whatever contract we used to just look at it and say like, well, that's for a leverage, a leverage technique or whatever. And now we actually are having a conversation about what free agents are making, how much money is going to teams, how much money is going to players. And so like these things, I think just stick more. I'm not necessarily Sure, that maybe like really specific amounts are being like levied a little bit more. But the biggest thing for Machado is that it sounds like the best deal that he has is a team he doesn't really want. Right? Like it's a team he doesn't really, he doesn't really want to go to the team that's giving him the best offer right now. No. And yeah, I think that basically what's happening here is he wants to go to the Yankees first and maybe the Phillies as a fallback point. And he has no interest in the White Sox. And the White Sox are the ones with the best offer on the table. And 
the, I don't the that. the Yankees are sitting back going we don't need to bid here because ultimately he wants to come to us. I think I I think everybody has seen this like idea that there's a mystery team with the highest offer and everyone has assumed that it's the White Sox because it's the only one that's been seen. I don't think that that's necessarily true. Well the you, the one that was reported was the White Sox for 175. Yeah, and then there has been a report from his dad that says the team with the best offer is the one that he doesn't really want to go to, and Heyman says there's a mystery team in on it. And the biggest thing that, obviously, Heyman with mystery teams, whatever, but the Padres have been around the edges on this for a while. His dad said that? I didn't even catch that, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. His dad is literally telling people, well, he has the best offer from this team, but he doesn't want to take it. Because he doesn't want to go there. So. Yeah, but didn't he make some point like he was pissed that teams were basically negotiating out in the open? That was his main point. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, how much of this is maybe just the fact that even though we say this is how much a player is worth to a team, you know, kind of giving this idea that they should have these inflated salaries like Bryce Harper should make, you know, $400,000 in his or $400 million in his contract or something like that. How much of the issue is that's what they believe they're worth and that's what we can kind of say, you know, statistically this is what they'll do and what it'll be worth to a team versus teams looking at it and saying, well, but we have to allocate allocate the money we have. They're going to be players that we have to pay more than they're worth to be able to put together a team that's halfway decent for this time. Is it like basically are we seeing a clash between here's our theoretical dollar value for players and what they should make versus this is how we actually have to pay players to put together a decent team? Well, I think you're also seeing teams treating that the the luxury tax as a hard cap, and they shouldn't, but they are. And so because they are doing that, it's driving down everything. Because the Yankees have to, if you think about like the Yankees, sure, they absolutely should add Manny Machado. They totally have the, the payroll space and all that to do it, but right now. But then you look in three, four years, because Manny Machado is going to require a at least, what, seven, eight-year commitment at bare minimum, seven, eight-year commitment. Well, by the time you get into year four and five of that contract, you're looking at paying Aaron Judge free agent prices. You're looking at paying Glaber Torres. You're looking at paying Gary Sanchez. You're looking at paying uh, Luis Severino. And they still have Stanton. And you still have Stanton. So, like, you have all those expenses coming up in the future. The Yankees don't have – if they want to truly stay under the luxury tax or around it or not, you know, totally get – uh, like lose draft pick, get to that level of losing draft picks and whatever, then they don't have as much flexibility if they're imposing that limit on themselves, which they seem to be because everybody seems to be doing that outside of, I guess, the Red Sox. But even the Red Sox are saying they're not going to go up above the point where they would start having their draft picks get moved back. They don't, that's their cap. Well, and it's one thing if they go over, to, over the luxury tax for a season or two seasons, mm. but it's, the idea, I guess, when you sign these guys to 10-year contracts, and that's going to force you to go for the luxury tax for how many seasons in a row? And like we said, with these young players that are going to have to be paid eventually, mm-hmm. you know, you it's coming. I was going to say, though, but I think, and and this is a soapbox thing for me, so indulge me for a second, which I know will piss Steve off, but, you know, you'll have to deal with it. Um, you can you edit out whatever the hell you want later. Uh, but... Part of this conversation, I think, is exactly what you're talking about in terms of of what we're saying a player is worth is a little bit arbitrary, but it's arbitrary based on calculations on on what contracts have been given in the past and then their wins above replacement and then doing kind of back calculations for teams have been spending however much money per win. Right. And then being able to extrapolate that out in the future that has problems in terms of kind of thinking about like what win values really are, all of those sorts of things. But what it comes down to is not necessarily just about the, the luxury tax, and, th- and that's fair. But when it comes down to it, it's about how you're most efficiently going to allocate your funds based on, uh, based on risk and based on marginal value. And so if you have somebody, say, you know, Miguel Andahar, if we're still going to use the Yankees who is making the league minimum and might be, you know, a two, two and a half win player. And you've got somebody like Manny Machado who you might spend $250 million on, and he might be a six, 
win player. But you look at Andahar and say, well, you know what? He could be a two-win player. He actually could break out and be a four-win player. And do I want to pay the, the league minimum and have a little bit of a chance that he actually gets gets better? And you know what? If he's just kind of like a win or two worse than what Machado might be, there's that conversation. And Machado, you saying, do I really want to spend over the life of a contract in terms of like what Andahar might make in arbitration, all of these things, $200 million more for somebody that might be, you know, a win or two better might be. And there's always the, the fear with Machado, especially after his comments in the postseason and some of the things he's done. I think one of the issues specific to this market, specific to this player is I think there's owners out there that are saying, and I, I obviously have no, but I, I have a feeling there's owners out there going, well, I don't want to pay that guy because he said he doesn't want to hustle. You yeah, know, on like a very I, visceral level, I think there's some of that going on too. I, I think that's post hoc justification for not wanting to spend money. Um, because what it comes down to is you're thinking about efficiently spending your money because one of because the key thing that you are doing as an organization, and when we say an organization, we do mean a business, they are trying to win within the confines of protecting their profit. And so if you're looking at this situation, you are saying right now, structurally, it's much more efficient for me to spend less money on a t on somebody in pre-arbitration or arbitration because they have artificially have their their wages suppressed. And it's much more efficient and much smarter for me to be able to take a chance that they're going to do better because it's much more cost efficient than for me to spend an extra $200 million to maybe get two or three wins over the course of a season. And I have way more risk there. So when we talk about why free agent prices are going down, it's not just about the luxury tax. It's not just about teams trying to protect their money. It's, not, it's, it's the fact that it is much smarter to pay somebody much less to get potentially the same or at least marginally worse production. And so when teams are looking at what's happening in free agency, they have to understand that they are being paid less because people are being uh, forced to accept less via the arbitration and pre-arbitration system. If Andahar was able to, to be paid what he's worth or just be kind of an open market, there's no, he would make, I don't know, like I would, ju I'm just gonna throw a number $80 million. And then that gap between what, Machado is going to make and Andahar is going to make is much is much less. And it actually might, might make more sense to invest a little bit more in it. But the gap is just so big between what's happening that financially as a business, it makes no sense. And so that's what needs to be addressed in the CBA. It's not just about getting rid of the luxury tax and all of those sorts of things. It's about understanding that the suppression of the vast majority of people who are playing in baseball and their, and their wages is affecting people on the high end. Bringing this back to the Brewers a little bit, you brought up a point that's sort of tangentially connected to this. Are the Brewers really at that point right now where they're kind of right on the cusp of being in the playoffs, being out of the playoffs? According to the numbers we all threw out last week, we were all predicting, I think I was higher than you guys I had, what, 89 or so wins, and you guys were more like 85, 86 wins. That's right on the cusp of where one more win, paying, you know, overpaying for one win could potentially be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, right? Getting from 72 to 73 wins, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay a ton of money to go from 72 to 73, or even to go from 100 to 101. It doesn't make that much sense to pay that much money to do that because unless you're, unless, and it would be, unless you're the Red Sox and Yankees, where you actually are trying to fight out for the division as opposed sure. to the wild card. I understand the point you're getting to, but I think the problem with the Brewers is you're looking at this season, but if you're signing someone to a longer-term contract, it might help this year. But if you're signing somebody to a six, seven, eight-year contract, how many years is that basically going to hurt their ability to you know, sign what they need to get that margin? Well, it depends where they're going to go with the payroll in the future, right? Like that all depends. Do, is this team a team that's going to be running well, in a few years, 130? Because right now they're projected to be somewhere about 115 million mm -hmm. in payroll to open this season. What do you, where are they going to be in, in three years? Are they going to be 130, 100, $140 million payroll team? Because they probably could do it, especially once the new TV deal comes in, into place. They're going to have a ton more money. They have well, a ton of money. But the thing is, it, it, inflation exists when we're talking about payrolls. So you should expect payrolls to go up regardless. TV money matters. But one of the things that I think is also teams are so much more aware of how much luck plays into and random variance plays into seasons. 
there is no way that you can say you are spending X amount of money to get a one win difference. It's the exact same reason we were talking about why it doesn't make any sense to to trade for Manny Machado last season. Because you were just like, you don't know what you're going to get over the over a half season. You don't know what you're going to get over the course of a full season. You're better off paying much less and getting Mike Moustakis than paying more and getting Machado. Well, okay. So who, I guess the first point is, what is the position that the Brewers can most improve if they go out and sign a free agent? Is that starting pitching? Like that would be if they go out and get a premium player, that's where they need it the most. Like if we're talking about like Dallas Keuchel, sure. I think that that's true because they they could really upgrade the front of the rotation in a way that they can't really do it in other positions. And like if you were to sign somebody to play second base and you block Hira, you're potentially cutting off sure. some of your own upside that way so so yeah, i guess pitcher. jp is keichel a big enough upgrade for the rotation that it, he'd be worth that kind of investment i don't think so um not not for me i keichel has a lot of red flags with him um which you know is part of the discussion that we're having about risk and and allocating money to that it for me especially when you're talking about how much depth that the brewers have they need either a really top end pitcher, which I think they could really only get via trade, which then you're going to have conversations about Kira. So whether or not that actually makes sense is another question. I still think the the what the Brewers are going to end up doing, they're going to address somebody uh, to start the, the year at second base. I think they will sign somebody that is able to play multiple positions. That is going to be an upgrade for them for you know a month or two months or however long it's going to take them to get up here. And then they're going to be able to have a better utility infielder to be able to to strengthen the overall all team. And then there's, you know, they were talking, uh, I don't remember if it was this morning or last night or when it was, but the Brewers are once again connected to Wade Miley saying that they're interested in potentially bringing him back. I still think they're going to either add on, on the very, very kind of cheap fringes of the starting rotation, or they've been exploring kind of the higher end port, the higher end points, which I just, I don't think that they really have the pieces to go make that happen. So I still think they're going to look at second base as the biggest place that they can upgrade and then keep going with depth in the starting rotation. Okay. So we have a Patreon question uh, regarding second base from Jeffrey Emenecker. He says, assume they don't sign another second baseman and hero looks decent in spring training. Uh, and then, okay. So this is the assumption also that Hira still gets sent down to start the season. Which Stearns is basically guaranteed. It doesn't yeah. make any sense for him to open on the big league roster. Okay, so if he struggles in AAA, you know, into May, does he come up regardless because they feel that he's legit? Or does he need to actually hit in AAA before they call him up? Well, I think that entirely depends on what's going on with their second base position. If Spangenberg gets off to a good start and is playing well, I don't think they're going to be in a rush to bring Hira up if he's not killing the ball. But if Hura is not killing the ball and they don't have any and second base looks like it did last year where you just don't have anybody who's really giving you anything. I think you could see Hura fairly early in that case. So I think it, it depends not just on what Hura does, but also on what is happening at their second base position and how much they think they can upgrade by making that call up. I There's also a chance, too, that if Hura is... I think the odds of Hira performing so badly that he wouldn't be called up, uh, I think it's is pretty low. I think the, the only thing that might keep Hira down is one of two things. Number one, like you said, somebody who's starting at second base, whether it's you know the the person that uh, Steve has a picture of on his phone, Aaron Perez, um, or somebody like Spangenberg or who it, whoever is going to be at second base is just absolutely flying. And you know what? They just want to ride that as long as possible. It also might be something in which Mauricio Dubon absolutely tears the cover off the ball, and he they, he end up get he gets the call first, not because he's a better prospect overall, but because once you are a team that is, you know, we talked about this last year. Once you have designs on on competing, you don't have the luxury to say we're gonna we're gonna call you up and then you know we're gonna deal with with some bumps and bumps and bruises for a little bit there's a reason that Tyler Saladino was called up and just kind of like they let him ride for a while. Cause they were like, we don't think you're a long-term solution, but while you're, while you're hitting, we're going to have Orlando Arcia down in triple a, just seeing if he can figure it out. Um, they might do that with here for a little bit, but I still think the odds are 
here is going to hit. He's going to be ready. Um, he'll he might struggle a little bit in the big leagues when he gets there, but I st- I don't think AAA is going to be too big of an issue for him. Is he a full time position player like Dubon? No, no, I'm I'm sorry, Hira. Is he a full time like with his elbow issues defensively? Does the he elbow get issues to... are supposedly gone at this point? Okay, but do they we took it very slow and they were very careful about no, it? No, I understand. It's that. Supposedly gone now. Okay, could it flare back up potentially? But apparently, when they did an MRI, his elbow showed the ligament intact. So, okay, so we believe like they can pencil him in as a starter every day. I mean, not physically. I, I, sure, yeah. I don't think physically. I don't think he's going to be Mister One Sixty Two, but I think he could do one hundred and fifty. Okay, well, I'm just saying, but it, we aren't looking at him as a guy who's going to need frequent rest to, you know, basically for maintenance days. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I would say that he's never day guy. Okay. Uh, we do have a question from Adam Post on Patreon. Any word on the return timetables for players who suffered long-term injuries last season? We hear about Jimmy Nelson, which Nelson's always positive and Stearns is always a little bit more cautious. I, I, yeah, I don't want to say negative, but he's cautious. They they want to slow things down. Jimmy is quite clearly chomping at the bit to get back, and understandably, and they're going to take it carefully. Okay, so we have uh, Dubon, uh, Jake Gatewood, Brent Suter. Um, is Dubon's a, t- a full go for uh, Dubon's a full go for uh, spring training. Okay, so that my understanding he's he's completely ready to go. I don't know about Gatewood. Uh, who was the other one you said? Suter. Oh, Suter's going to be out this whole year. Don't I was going to say, because Suter went down, what, mid, mid-season? A little after mid-season? And he waited a while to have his surgery, too. I don't believe he had it right away. He, I think he had it, like, in September? Uh, I, I think it was before that, but I'm not 100% sure. As far as Gatewood, Gatewood has, has recently kind of put out some videos of him starting to take some swings as well. So I don't necessarily know if he's going to be a full go, but he's, you know, the the old cliche, I think he is engaging in baseball activity. Is Brent Suter the new assistant bullpen coach or what's his role with the team? <laughs> well, he's... I think he is assistant bench coach. He is, he is, he is somebody that is there to, uh, to help kind of keep everybody on board and, uh, bring his Harvard smarts to the to the bullpen I would imagine yeah Brent Suter is going to be like a manager I of that I have very little doubt or he's going to do a really good job of maintaining the proper number of sunflower seeds for the team in the dugout right I think he's pretty pretty smart he could do the math on that what was the the guy from the the pirates who was I think he went to to Princeton it was Ross uh Ollendorf yeah, and and he ended up like spending the vast majority of his off seasons as like an intern for the Department of Agriculture and like doing a bunch of like really intense things to set himself up for. So like Brent Suter could just decide like he wants to get into linguistics or like he wants to work with the the State Department or something like that and starts to to navigate himself there. So he might not be a manager. He might decide that you know what really needs to happen. I need to be a financial planner. And Jody Garrett was the guy who ended up like he went to Stanford and then. Like what he wanted to do was be a financial planner for baseball players because he said that professional athletes have no training whatsoever in how to handle money. Yeah, but you know who else wanted to do that? Nails. <laughs> Dykstra. Yeah, yeah, that was his, Lenny Dykstra. That was his whole thing. He was going to do that, and then he uh, ended up in prison. <laughs> well, there's. I think what we would like to say is that Brent Suter has a little bit more going for him than Lenny Dykstra did. Yeah, uh, on several levels. Okay, so we have a question from uh, PB Brew Crew. Uh, I'm looking ahead to spring training battles uh, that might be notable to watch without Keon and Domingo. Could we see Tyrone Taylor uh, break camp with the big league club? I mean, it would be hard to imagine them carrying five outfielders to start the season just because of what we know is going on in the infield and how settled things are. If if Yelich, Kane, and Braun are all healthy, I think it's Gamble and then that's it for the outfield. Because you also have a fifth outfielder in Perez who can go out there and play that that as well. So I would be surprised to see it, but if somebody's hurt, that opens things up. We talked about this a little bit on the minor league pod too, and JP brought up another guy as well so that he thinks might actually be in front of him. 
Okay. Uh, Adrian Hauser seems like the biggest name uh, left without options. Um, yes. Am I wrong to think Stearns is quite likely to find a place for him to start this year, especially given that almost all of the other bullpen arms have options? Yeah, I would imagine so. I think they'll try to keep him in the bullpen as much as possible. If if he's absolutely dreadful during spring, you might see him kind of not uh, obviously make it and and kind of test the waters in terms of whether or not he would be claimed. Um, I think that you would see a team like Miami or somebody like that absolutely try to claim him because he could potentially start. But I think if he's just halfway decent, they'll try to make room from, for him in the bullpen. So I think that I would expect Adrian Hauser to make the opening day roster. If he's not, unless he's like offered in some weird offseason trade where they get somebody, you know, I don't even know what they would need another bullpen arm with a bunch of options. But I, I think that, uh, I think Hauser's a pretty good bet for it. Are they going to start trading for airline miles? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're kind of at the point where it really is like they're trading for options of guys. And they'll take a downgrade in terms of overall talent from like Domingo Santana to. Well, ben where Gamble. are they going to? Is San Antonio now? Yes. yes. Okay. Not Colorado Springs. I don't know. Is there are there direct flights from Milwaukee to San Antonio? There's got to be, right? I don't know. There it depends on the airlines. I don't fly enough to know. I was gonna say there might be now, um, but <laughs> I, I. So not to quibble too much. Do you really think that Ben Gamble's a huge downgrade on Domingo Santana? I'm not sure that's true at all. Yeah, I do think so. I think the upside of Domingo Santana is considerable. That's not the same thing well, as, saying, as saying he's a downgrade. That's saying that you have higher hopes for Domingo Santana. And we've talked about but this we've before. Seen Domingo Santana Hold be on. a really good hitter. Yes, we have. But we've talked about this, and that's the you know double-edged sword with Domingo Santana is the fact that you can get really great production or you can get last season where you're like, how is a power hitter not hitting with any power? You can. There's there's a wide variance in that. I yeah. I still think Domingo Santana is the better player, but they can be the better player. Is you think he is overall is the better player? Yeah. Okay. Everything baked into that, he's the better player, but not so much so that like trading for Ben Gamble and his options didn't make sense. It made perfect sense. Sure. Ben Gamble's a two win player. He is. Ben, I suppose, but and that's kind of where where Domingo maxed out. If you believe the defensive metrics, that I hundred percent believe the d- defensive metrics with Domingo Santana. Hashtag if you're going to sit, defense. Try, if you're, you're going to sit here and try to sell me on the fact that Domingo Santana is a quality defensive outfielder, we're just going to disagree. On no, that. no, no, he's not. The question is, how bad is he? How much did that actually detract from his? What was a pretty damn good hitting line in twenty seventeen? I mean, he he hit in 2017. Oh yeah, and but the defense was so bad that it it downgraded it a lot. So that's a question of: Do you believe his defense is sucking chest wound levels, or is it you know severe laceration, or is it you know paper cut? And that's you know it's not a question that it's a wound. It's a question of how I'm trying bad to keep that I'm trying to keep is. track of that so I can figure out what I want to rate him as. But um, anyways. Should we move on? Sure. Okay. So we got a Patreon question from Michael Heitkamp. He said, it's reasonable to deduce that part of the reason the Brewers played so well during September was because they stashed several big league caliber players in the minors and were active in both the non-waiver and waiver trade deadline. They ended up with 35 players on the roster who had at least one skill that was useful when deployed in the right situation. Some of the moves so far with Claudio... Uh, Gamel seemed to be geared towards accumulating the same, same level of depth they had in 2018. The question is, <laughs> is it a viable strategy to target September as a time to accumulate uh, the, the wins because of expanded roster? So basically, he's saying that their depth allowed them to be very good in September. Is there too much variance earlier in the season to be able to plan to be that competitive in September? Well, I think there's too much variance in September to say that that's a, that's you know a surefire way that you can kind of rack up the wins. I would say that I actually disagree with the premise a little bit. I think one of the biggest reasons that they had a lot of big league talent in terms of depth was to cover them throughout the entire season, not just September. I think they were able to benefit from it a little bit more in terms of deploying guys in key situations. Um, but one of the key things that they were able to do throughout the season, and we saw it with Keon Broxton, we saw it with, you know, uh, especially with the bullpen where they were able to kind of shuffle guys throughout the entire season. It's 
it's a, it's about the entire season and being able to deploy your your big league players throughout the entire you know the organization i guess you would say and there's so, no reason to think that the bullpen shuffle is going to stop that's that seems like that's here to stay and that's here to stay across the big leagues that teams yeah. are basically going to treat those last couple bullpen spots as rotating pieces because starters are going shorter you're going to be covering innings and so you're going to use it to you may have a guy go twice in three days or something and then he goes down and some other guy comes up who hasn't pitched in four days and it's his turn to soak innings so well and and i think i i do 100 percent agree that a team that has more depth and and quality depth is able to benefit from you know, an expanded roster in September a lot more than other teams. I, I I do agree with that point. But one of the biggest reasons that the Brewers played so well in September was not just because of their depth. It was because Yelich was incredible. Uh, Corey Knable didn't give up a single run in all of September. Uh, and you just had guys and, and Wade Miley was like near Cy Young caliber for some reason. And like no just, starters uh, were really bad like Gio Gonzalez other than Chase Anderson who got yanked from the rotation like Gio gave them some solid starts really right but it lot. was like it was key guys just being awesome for the Brewers and yeah they definitely had some some role players that that were able to step up Domingo Santana gave them some really nice uh pinch hits over the course of the the uh, over the course of September like Gio was able to make some spot starts in that way yeah absolutely but the granny it, man but it was but it was Yelich it was um and it was guys like Knable and it was guys like Hater that absolutely carried the the Brewers all throughout September so going back to a previous point real quick Jay Jay did the research for us on this just to fill us in there are direct flights between Milwaukee and San Antonio Oh, there so you go. we've got Frontier and United and American all seem to have direct flights. So well, this is why we need a producer doing live uh, checks on information for us. Well, we do. I, we should hire Tron as the uh, producer of the show. I was going to say, though, like Frontier is a flight with quotation fingers around it. It's, it's you are in the air and <laughs> hopefully OK. Right. Like it's it's the vast majority. There goes that sponsorship for the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just flew Frontier, and I did, I did very much feel like I was, you know, I was a head of cattle. It was the uh, major league flight when they got the new plane or whatever. You're I wonder if there are any stewardesses. Yeah, yeah. it, it really kind of was that. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. If you guys could get a Brewers player, a major league player, to come on the podcast, this is from David Bearwolf on Patreon. Who would we want it to be, and why? Suitor. Oh, I, I was gonna say I knew that that was Ryan's answer before we started. Yeah, I when I saw the question, I, that was the first thing that jumped to mind was, I yeah, I'd want to talk to Brent Suter. Uh, I'd want Jeremy Jeffress. <laughs> I think I think hearing Jeffress in terms of being a, a a first round draft pick to kind of, um, kind of going through what he had to go through, finding a lot of success here, going elsewhere, changing roles, kind of coming back and being a key a key guy for the the Brewers, kind of. You know, making their push. Um, I think he'd be a really, really good interview. And just how much stuff he's gone through, both on the field and off the field. Yeah, there'd be no end of stuff to talk about there. I think uh, Lorenzo Kane, because we need to find somebody closer to our age that we can actually relate to. Everybody else, I think, is too damn young. Right? Uh, and, and I was going <laughs> to say, like, the, I think Junior Guerra would be a, a good interview as well. Um, I think being able to hear, like, talk about what it's like to go and play baseball in Italy, like being able to hear about that, those kinds of things as well, I think would be a, a really good conversation to be able to have. And like, you know, we'll try to work on some of these things over the course of the year in terms of if we can get certain people from the organization on. But um, yeah, I think there are a lot of one and one of the key and I know I know this isn't about performance, but like it does seem to me and this is just kind of from talking to people around around the team and, and just kind of like reading things and us having this conversation. Um, the Brewers put a lot of emphasis on how people fit in the clubhouse. It seems to me that they've got a lot of people like. I know it's cliche, but they have a lot of good guys in the clubhouse, right? Like you don't ha you don't hear them deal with. A lot of issues, a lot of, you know, people fighting, a lot of people who are accused of selfishness. Like, and I don't know if it's just they scout mentality so well or what that is, or 
I and my own personal thing is I think it's I think it's Craig Council and his man management, I think has just been been excellent. Well, I think it also becomes a self perpetuating thing too, right? Where if you have a good environment, then a new player gets added to that and they it brings out the good aspects of people and there's an expectation that you're gonna be, you know, kind of a team player and part of the part of the overall thing that they have going. Once you have that, it can kind of perpetuate itself over time. And then you the the worry then you want to make sure you don't bring in somebody that's gonna have the power and the pull to take that down. You don't want to bring in somebody who you know has the capability to actually override that and make things bad. That's why the Brewers should never even consider signing Manny Machado and his bad attitude. It, it's totally it, you useless. It, you said it, I did. Totally useless to have a player like that on the roster. So, hey, uh, Not paying attention whatsoever to everybody who's been on his team that said he's like a wonderful person and fantastic and all of these things. It's the fact that, you know, some old people thought he did. It got mad because he said he didn't like hustling all that one time. Exactly. So uh, Darren Jones on Patreon asks, should Liberty Travis Shaw's plate appearances versus left-handed pitching be an important consideration when contemplating the addition of an infielder? I mean, it depends. I, I don't think you bring in somebody who can play third base in, as a right-hander if he's like terrible. Right? Like you don't just do it to make it happen. If you can find somebody who can play second base and is right-handed and can also play third base and is, you know, can kill lefties, then yeah, I don't I, I think that's just that's good ro- roster opti- optimization to be able to do it. I we've seen Travis Shaw actually handle lefties okay. And it's just over the course of his entire career, he's he's struggled a little bit against lefties over the course of of, you know, however many plate appearances he, he's had against them. So I don't think it should be the motivating factor when talking about the addition of the infielder. But I think it's I think they should absolutely get somebody who can handle third base because right. Who's their backup third baseman right now? Hernandez Perez. It, is it Perez? Right. And he is a guy who can hit lefties at a you know reasonable clip. If he has a good season against lefties, you know, I could see him putting up a 120 OPS plus or something against lefties. That wouldn't be too outrageous to think he could do that. A good season. Yeah, a good season. I wouldn't count on that. But yeah, it stands to be said that they could use somebody better than what Perez can offer. <laughs> for the most part so yeah that was that was the suggestion of our producer over here uh jay wants to point out josh harrison is out there and uh, well and jp has brought up josh harrison a number of times yes yeah well but i would say that like perez hasn't really played at third base much i was just looking at i mean he started 11 games there last year and part of that was probably because of moustakas but i do wonder if he's not great defensively at third base the vast majority and and this has been my biggest problem with with Perez over the course of you know his time with the Brewers in which everybody talks about his defensive versatility the vast majority of his defensive you know his defensive value comes from playing corner outfield right he he's a very good left fielder everywhere else it's just sort of acceptable and playable yeah so which there's value in being acceptable and playable too absolutely Absolutely. We're talking seen, about like clubhouse contributions. Everybody says Perez is like a glue guy in terms of keeping things together. Absolutely. We should go to our Aaron Perez correspondent, Steve Garshinsky, to see what he has to say about him. I'm pretty sure that Aaron Perez is the wallpaper on his phone. He is. Well, yeah, because I told you guys after we recorded last week, I I had to go and replace my phone. Yes. And so when I was in the store getting it replaced and they were they were checking to see like, oh, did your account transfer over and everything like that? And photos that were synced to the cloud, did they they transfer over in the account? And, and the most recent photo I had in there to prove that, yeah, oh, everything synced was the, the seductive Hernan Perez photo of him lounging across a... A dugout? Yeah. yeah not quite beefcake photo because he was fully clothed in a baseball uniform, but it was... It's pretty beefy. It was, yeah, it was, it was borderline beefcake photo, so... It was. I'm like, oh, hey... <laughs> No, no embarrassing selfies, but I have Hernan Perez just saved all through my my photos there. So, uh, anyways, we have a question from Nick Zettel on Twitter. Most ninety six plus win teams have regressed during the new wild card era, typically averaging eighty six wins after their elite season. What would you need to see happen for a non playoff year 
to be considered successful in 2019? Oh, you mean for it to be considered successful in the big picture? So yeah, if they if they regress back to the eighty six wins that you know both JP and I were a little bit more uh, confident that they they'd be around, this would be a tough year for it because they still have guys with some control left. But one of the things that I was kind of thinking of, it would be useful to have some bad years mixed in with the good years in terms of perpetuating what Stearns wants to do. Because if you think about what the Red Sox were able to do in terms of from about 2010 to winning the World Series in 2018, they definitely had some years where they were a flat-out bad team. And they were able to use those years, one, to draft people like Andrew Benatendi uh, so they could get you know top 10 draft picks. So they would have a bad year and be able to get back into the top of the draft. They were also able to use it to trade guys away and make some some shifts and shift around some money and do some things that way. Hold on. Didn't they also have some front office shakeups and they fired John Farrell and stuff like that? They also had those things too. I'm yeah. just saying that stuff didn't come with just like a consistent front no. office and in, in management. No, they didn't. But they were able to use sort of some down periods. And a down year can be useful in terms of being able to, and right now they're probably, they don't really have anybody who's impendingly going to be a free agent anytime soon. Um, I think like it really starts after the 2020 season. Jimmy Nelson would be eligible for free agency after 2020, obviously Grandall, but he's a one year. That's a different situation. But if you have a bad year, you could use the bad year to trade away some guys and, potentially well this isn't really his question though no no no. but i'm saying what would it take for it to be considered successful they would for me they would need to take advantage of the down year to improve the young talent on the roster to trade some old talent for younger talent but that's not really going to happen in an 86 win season yeah it wouldn't be an 86 win season now i was gonna say you're talking about extremes I'm talking about if you just had everything kind of go wrong and you had a bad exactly, season. But that's not his question. He's saying 86 wins, which you're at the trade deadline. You're still in it if you're going to win 86 wins or if you're going to get 86 wins on the season. And like that's also but you're also talking about a year in which like they absolutely bomb and win like 70 some wins. And you're saying like that's going to be a success. You're right. That's not what the question was, but I took it that direction anyway. So answer the actual question. Then. Because Ryan, Ryan's favorite thing, if it's not winning, is losing and getting to play general manager on what the MLB, the show 2019. I don't know. I don't. Basically, but. you would you would rather play a video game or something like that where you get to like build the team. My, dynasty, actually, like, my yeah, dynasty team. You want to build dynasty teams as opposed to actually just like play the game. So that, yeah. uh, I mean, if they win 86 games they're in it towards the end i i don't think coming off the season they had that it would ever be considered a success well they're kind of in that that what what is it sammy sosa high heat baseball from 2000 <laughs> 2000 yeah there we go me me jay and my brother travis played that game a lot so um, i mean jp don't you think if they win 86 games coming off the season they just had there isn't really any way to say like it's a success well, and but the thing to me is, and I know, and the reason why this is such a difficult question is because it depends on what your definition of success is, right? Like, if if your definition of success is, um, you know, you won a lot of games, right? And and the question is like, can you say that eighty six wins is enough uh, is enough success in terms of win total if they don't make the the playoffs? Um, and like, I think that the only way that you can think about baseball, and one of the reasons that I've always been interested in it, is it 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 is longer time frames. Like, I don't think a one season is anything that makes or breaks a success story. Um, and so, for me, if they don't make the playoffs, but I think Keston Hura comes back or like comes in and and performs really well. If if Jimmy Nelson comes in and is able to show that he's healthy and, you know, over the course of the season is productive enough. And the reason that they're not any good is that, you know, Guerra falls off a cliff. Chassin's just kind of okay. Chase Anderson blows up. Like, all of these things that we all look at it and say, like, yeah, we could have seen that happening. Um, but, like, if 
Christian Yelich gets hurt uh, and, you know, Lorenzo Cain gets hurt and like they win 84 games because they dealt with injuries, but some of the young players pitch well. I think that could be a successful season as well. Like there are just, there are so many things. And and once you get down to whether or not, first of all, judging whether or not they made enough moves in the off season based on their end of year win total is asinine. And there's also something to be said for um, thinking about success in terms of individual people. Um, but thinking about when you're, you're looking at, and this is why I get frustrated when we talk about, you know, I said that they, I, I picked them saying right now, if I had to su suggest what they would win, I'd say 80, 85, 86 wins. That, that's a, that implies a range. That means that I think right now their win total is probably somewhere between, you know, 82 and 90. And I could see any of those happening pretty easily. And so if you told me that they won 80, 82 games this year, I'd say like, yeah, I could see that. If you say that they won 92 wins, I'd yeah, I didn't think that, you know, that means everything had to come together pretty well. But yeah, I could see that, too. I just think most likely they're going to take a little bit of a step back because last year things had to go really, really well down the stretch for them to be able to hit the win total that they did. I mean, yeah, you want to construct a full narrative on this, right? Well, here, here, here's what I would say. 86 wins being successful is things didn't break right during the season to get into the playoffs. But you look at the roster heading into 2020 and you say they're still in a position to compete for the like a legit position to compete both for the division and be a playoff team in 2020. Yeah, I think a lot of it would come down to how the season finished. If you had a really bad start to the season and dug yourself a hole and weren't able to go out and add a bunch of talent, but say in the second half you had a, a surge and you were able to get to 86 wins, like say you were a few games under 500 going into like the all-star break and you end up surging and get to like 86 wins, that could be a considered a successful season, especially like you said, if it's being driven by guys who then you look at and go, well, next year, this is going to be better. Like if Hura has a big second half, something like that, then yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that being considered a success. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's going to be hard to spin it as success regardless if they don't make the playoffs. They set the bar really high this season and that's fine. Because that how that's how it goes for teams from season to season. Yeah, I don't think they're going to like lose their fan base because they only win eighty six games and we're following the team into the the end of September, hoping they make it and they fall short. If you win eighty six games, enough has gone right that watching the team probably isn't a completely miserable experience. Though I do think about last summer and from you know what was it the middle of July to like the end of August, the team was mediocre but not actually like terrible. And it felt like a death march every night, like logging onto Brewer's Twitter and just just the, the level of angst that was going on at that point, even though the team was in relatively good position the whole time. Well, and shout out to all the shout out to all the Cubs fans who told me that the seven game stretch to end the, the all star, the first half of the season going into the all star break meant that the Brewers had finally like lost it and there was no way that they could finally come back. I did wonder where they went as the season went on. Uh, they were eliminated after the wild card. They went to Bears games, or, Breen. No, yeah. That's what they did. They went to Bears games. And <laughs> so did you see all of the speaking of the Bears, not that, you know, and then I, I do have one more thing I want to say about the the win total. But um, did you see that Goose Island like uh, had offered everybody, you know, free beer for a year if they could make the the field go that whatever the, you know, whatever the Bears kicker's name is um, ended up missing and everyone over the course of the day just absolutely tanked not to mention that it snowed so everyone was slipping and that was funny yeah i enjoyed the fact that it was snowing and i also enjoyed that that then gave all these bears fans they're like well somebody would have hit it if it if it you were not like concrete with like astroturf and like slush and whatever people totally would have hit the hit the kick then so it, this is still like a bad exercise in like proving your point like like there were still meatheads that were like still dedicated the idea that you know cody that anybody could do what cody parkey does well and then the team decided to eat their own when parkey just went out and did a bunch of interviews about overcoming adversity even though he missed tons of kicks all season and didn't their coach then and then the coach like, was like we lose as a team i don't know why he's doing these interviews so i'm like oh this is wonderful well oh, and then there like, was please also i want to bathe in this well he's gone right like mike vanderjack after the oh, well and then they said they're going to open up the competition with the kicker uh next year well duh they were going to do that anyway like 
the parky wasn't good, but like that's so still- I have to say that following Chicago sports in 20 for how miserable like 2018 had been, the way it ended for Chicago sports was like you got your shot in front of Oh on. my god, it was the best. I loved all of it. <laughs> so to to bring it back to the to Nick's question, um one of the things too that I think we struggled to remember, especially, you know, we do this podcast on the Brewers and and yeah, we talk about other teams once in a while, but it's it's laser focused. Um other teams are allowed to do things and uh other teams in the NL got better. And especially in the Central. Well, the Cardinals made a very specific push to get better like they definitely did so did the reds well the red i mean the reds are improving we've we've been talking about this i still think that congratulations like, to the reds you're not terrible but that's there aren't going to be terrible teams in the NL central this year that's the thing you have three very strong teams in the the brewers cubs and cardinals and two teams where if things break right you could see them on the fringes of the playoff race especially the pirates yeah but if things go poorly i'm sure either of those teams would start selling off and the bottom would fall out on them too there is a potential for there's probably one of those teams that the bottom is going to fall out on and they're going to be terrible when i get the feeling that the reds management is feeling the heat and like dick williams right that's their their anonymously named gm like he's feeling the pressure based on what they're they've been doing this offseason they have to be feeling that they aren't they moving Marty Brenneman into the front office since he's going to retire from calling games. I hope so. God, I hope so. <laughs> That's like the Hawk Harrelson TWTW. Thing. Yeah. If if somebody totally bottoms out, JP, who do you think it is? The Pirates or the uh, Reds? Uh, if somebody completely bottoms out, I think it'll be the Pirates. I actually I I like the Pirates quite a bit. Um, in terms of like individual players that they have, but what they don't have is star power. And so I, I don't, the Reds say what you want about the Reds, but the Reds are going to have one of the best offenses in the NL this year. Um, pretty much across the board, they've got, they've got quality talent. Um, the Pirates have a sneaky good offense too, though. They have a lot of very, they have a lot of slightly above average hitters. They don't really have a weak spot in their lineup. They've got a lot of guys that are fine. And, and so like, if you have a couple of those guys who are fine, that, uh, are bad they don't really have a lot that they can fall back on and one of the things that they also don't have is like a bullpen that's any good you and mean outside of their closer which bullpens are a little bit more than just one pitcher yeah so outside of him they they do struggle with that a little bit and and that's one thing that the Reds struggle with as well they've got a really good closer they've got a couple of other bullpen arms that are pretty good but I think that when you try to think about who is going to struggle and who could just absolutely have the bottom fall out, it's it's where is your where where is your impact talent? Where is where are the guys that you can rely on to carry you if things are going to going to happen? And um, the Pirates are are fine. Um, they've got they've got guys across the diamond that are okay and. Um, and or or fine or pretty good. Uh, if they get a couple of injuries, they're in trouble. Uh, if you're looking at their their starting rotation, they've got two pitchers who are quite good, and they've got three guys that you you look at and go, yeah, they're they're fine or they can be okay. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of question mark. And to, you know, if they bring up Mitch Keller, then and he's and ends up being really good, then they can you know make a run at 500 or a little bit over, but. Uh, there's there's a lot of downside there as well. So for me, when you're looking at what the Brewers are doing, you've got uh, the Braves that are young and going to get better. Phillies are going to get better. The Mets are going to be better. You've got uh, the Cardinals that took a big step forward. I think the Cubs are going to be worse than last year, but they'll still be they'll still be quite good. You'll have the Nats uh, are going to be better. What was that? The Nats are going to be better. The Nats the, the well or or you know or at least as good. Um, and you've got. I, the Diamondbacks will take a step back, but the Rockies are still going to be there. You're still going to have the Dodgers, obviously, being. I imagine they're still going to be key players for somebody like Harper. But the NL is so much better than than the AL in terms of overall talent that you can absolutely see that the Brewers might not get better than they were last year, or might be as good as they were last year, but end up winning, you know, six seven games less because the talent that 
they're going to be playing is going to be better overall. Yes, and that's I think that's absolutely true. You just don't have weak teams in the NL anymore. The Padres, yeah, it's really if you look at truly bad teams in the NL, it's basically the Marlins, the Giants, but the Giants aren't even committed to being bad either. Giants like, are terrible. They're terrible, but they don't want to be. I'd so bug. they want to still add around the fringes. But sometimes and, that that forces itself upon a team that they're terrible, and then they have. I was going to gonna say, let me tell you, if it was just about not wanting to be terrible, made you not terrible, then a lot of teams would do a lot better. I mean, they they've got their outfield is like Austin Slater. Uh, I is Hunter Pence still there? I'm trying to like remember what their outfield yeah, is. Yeah, Hunter Pence is still there. You know, at some point we should discuss the Brewers' bus potential. Like, is is 2019 going to be the 2012 Redux or something like that? Ugh, that 2012 season is so so rough because everything was good on that team. The lineup was good, the starting pitching was good. It was entirely undone by a bullpen that just lost them every single game. That was close, mm-hmm. and it, in a, in a couple months there, in May and June of that year. I remember because I'm the one that the the hashtag Brewers 2012 because it was just like every single night you're watching some horror show of, you know, first it was Axford and K-Rod and then it was, you know, they they kept running down the list until they finally found Jim Henderson to not be horrible. Mm -hmm. And that was truly it felt like every single night. I mean, it could be the bullpen is truly horrible. It could be the starting rotation is truly horrible. I mean, they do have some areas where there's just. I have a hard time Bust. seeing the, the starting rotation being truly terrible because they're going to really? shuffle. Th- yes, because they're going to shuffle through guys. Well, you can shuffle through guys if they're all pitching terribly. It doesn't matter who you're putting in there. I mean, they have the. I'm just saying they have the potential for it, so it'll be interesting to watch. But we'll maybe save that for our our team preview down the road. I think where we can talk about the going back. Thank you again, producer Jay. Uh, we have the San Francisco Giants outfield. To JP's point. Uh, ESPN has their starting outfield as Chris Shaw in left, Stephen Duggar in center, and Mac Williamson in right. Those are made up names, right? <laughs> they're, like, they're the random names that are come up in MLB the show. It's a computer generated names. <laughs> so the names that I even named aren't even like the one. Is like Austin Slater still there? He's a real player. Slater is the backup right fielder, and then Mike Gerber is the backup left fielder. I mean, it's really yeah. That's a that's a spicy meatball. And they're gonna they're gonna be getting rid of Joe Panic probably. Yeah, I mean they Farhan doesn't want to be the guy who comes in and instantly like trades away everybody's favorite players, but they're gonna have to do it. So yeah, well it'll it'll be interesting to watch what other. Hopefully we get some moves in this next week maybe, and then uh, we'll have that to discuss next week. So otherwise, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will, will receive the minor league, uh, monthly minor league extra podcast. How, whatever we call it. Monthly minor that's league it. extra. The minor league extra. <laughs> As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're on Spotify. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. You don't want to live but you're chicken to die.
us. We're 